0: Good job, brother. Thank you. I forgot to mention that this is the Tuesday that uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning at Denny's, our men get together. It's a time of next week. It's next week. Yeah, I'm really reminding you. Next week, Tuesday morning, we want uh, all you fellows to come by. It's a time of fellowship. We have a testimony. And it's a lot of fun. So next Tuesday morning, 8 o'clock at uh, Denny's, If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 beginning in verse 14. A natural man does not receive the truths revealed by the spirit of God. It would be useless to try and explain spiritual truths to one who was not a spiritual man. Uh, if someone uh, brought in an iPhone this morning and laid it uh, down here on the pulpit and took all the parts uh, apart and put it all out and laid it all out here and then asked me to reassemble it, that wouldn't happen. I, I'm the least nerdy person in the world and uh, I, I wouldn't know how to do that at all. Well, you can't really communicate great spiritual truths to people that have no inclination toward the Lord. You have to begin on the baby level uh, with them. A natural man, verse 14, does not receive. Now, we want to talk today about two men, the natural man and the spiritual man. And we want to hope and pray that all of us have moved from the point of beginning to the point of, of really being in a close relationship with our Heavenly Father. The natural man is most easily defined in a negative way. He is a man that has not received the Holy Spirit. We believe that when you trust in Christ, when you give your heart to the Lord, when you make Him the boss of your life, We believe at that time the Holy Spirit comes in to your life and stays with you all the rest of your life here on earth and of course on into eternity. His natural resources, for example, his intellectual resources are or may be complete. He is not any ordinary, not in any ordinary sense a bad man. Just because he's not a Christian doesn't mean he's a bad man. A lot of people uh, are, in fact, very nice people that aren't Christians. My dad was uh, uh, not converted. Uh, He was very nice. He worked hard. He provided for our family. He never ran around on my mother. He uh, earned a good living. He was kind to people. He gave to things that he thought were important. Uh, Just a, a good guy in many senses. He's not uh, the, the, the person that is the natural man. is not necessarily all of the bad things that you can think of. He is probably not a foolish man or an irreligious man. But lacking the spirit of God in his life, he cannot apprehend spiritual truths on a certain level. For him... Uh, spiritual uh, ideas and programs and and methodologies are are foolishness, just foolishness. Over the years, I've witnessed to a lot of folks, and they just look at me, and when I'm through, they say, you know, that none of what you have said has made any sense to me at all. I just get up and go to work and come home and rest and live it up on the weekend. That's what I do. And I, I try, of course, to take uh, baby steps with folks like that so that they'll know that there can be a relationship between them and the Lord. Well, in verse 15, look at the next verse. The spiritual man, however, investigates all things. He is interested in all sorts of spiritual things. Once you trust in Christ, you want to know more. You're hungry for spiritual things you get involved in a church you join a church uh, someone if you don't have a bible somebody gives you a bible you begin to read it you like certain sections a lot you begin to grow in your faith and your understanding of spiritual things but this person is not open to comparative investigation on the part of anyone More than examination is involved, the man who has received the Spirit is able to consider and appraise all things because he is not only inspired. Now, where do you think that inspiration comes from? It comes from the Lord. He is inspired to understand what he sees. He is also furnished with a moral standard. Now, there is a moral standard in the hearts and lives of Christians. They learn very, very quickly that certain things you shouldn't do. Certain things you shouldn't be around. Certain things you don't want to promote. uh, Certain things will tear you down, tear your family down, tear your neighbors down. And you want to help people rather than putting people down. Well... This does not uh mean uh that the spiritual man uh, has infallibility. It doesn't mean that he's not perfect. He doesn't know everything. He can certainly still learn a lot. Uh, a man judges aright and with assurance according to whether whether he is born again. Once you're born again, that inquisitive nature that we all have really kicks into gear for the believer. Uh, they want to be in a Bible study class. They want to be in a, a church where the Bible is preached. You know, so many of our churches today, you go there and they don't read the Word. They don't talk about the Word. They don't explain the Word. It's just unbelievable. You know, you wonder, well, why, why would people go there? You know, if you, if you're not learning, if you're not growing in the faith, why, why would you go to a place like that? You could go to the why, you know, and, uh, learn just as much. Well, the, the spiritual man is born again, and, and it has a lot to do with the measure of grace that that individual has. You say, well, how do I get more grace? You do those things which the Lord would want you to do and and would want you to be. You know, when a little child is born, you you try and help them in every way that you can. And then as they grow older, you kind of step back a little bit and uh, let them kind of make their own way. And then as they become interested in things like making model airplanes or a car, uh, that they can race in races down a hill with with uh, other boys other girls you know we we want to help we want to help guide people and when they're open to help when they listen and when they want to learn and when they want to grow that's the time when we can step in spiritually into the lives of those that are around us all of us interface with folks that that don't know anything about the lord haven't ever had anything to do with the Lord a number of times in my life I've gone door to door to door to door in neighborhoods and asked folks if they went to church anywhere and many times the people would say no we don't go to church for heaven's sakes no I always think it's funny that they say it that way well you know, uh, some folks are saying, well, no, nobody's ever invited me to church. And, of course, uh, we then invite them. And we then try and guide them and, and channel them along the way that they can grow spiritually. The grace that uh, is given to them is given to them by the Lord. And that grace helps them at certain junctures of their life. To really grow, really put on the growth uh, thing. You know, some people are Christians forever, and they don't grow beyond those beginning days. They would tell you right away, "Oh, I've been a Christian, you know, since I was ten years old." Well, have you have you grown in your faith? You know, if you were doing it grade wise, what grade would you be in, or would you be in kindergarten? You know, that, that's the question that faces all of us. Where would we be? Where are we? In what sense the spiritual man himself is not open to investigation and appraisal? Why, why isn't he? Well, the commentators, if you read all the commentaries about this, it says that he is not exposed to investigation by the natural man, the man that doesn't know Christ. They... They don't uh, relate on the same ground. Uh, They can't communicate because they're coming from different places. Paul makes the point that human condemnation and acquittal mean nothing to him. He says, I don't care about those things. The only judge that I have, Paul says, is the Lord. You know, sometimes we try and do real, real well in front of people. You know, if we played uh, high school football, for instance, you know, when we cross the line with a ball, we turn around to the crowd and smile and wave and bow and all those things. You know, and we're, we're playing to the crowd. Well, in spiritual things, you know, the there's only one judge. You know, it's not the folks that are in your club or on your ball team or in your neighborhood or where you work or, I mean, a thousand other groupings that might be in your life. There's only one judge, and it's the Lord. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, you know, I want to be pleasing to the Lord. That's it. That's the one. That's the only one that really, really counts. Well, look at verse 16, Uh, for whoever knew the mind of the Lord, so as to instruct him, but we talking about mature Christians here, and, and he includes himself, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, the natural man cannot see what's going on right in front of him. The natural man doesn't know the motivation that uh, encourage us forward. They come from a different point of reference. Now, that's so important in life. You know, if you come from a family where they teach you to steal, teach you to lie, teach you to do whatever you need to do uh, to get ahead uh, financially, then your point of reference is not good. But if you're coming from a Christian family and you come to know the Lord early in life and you're growing in the Lord all the way along the way, you're moving up grade-wise every year, closer and closer to the ways that the Lord has for you to go, uh, then your point of reference is wonderful. And you're very, very fortunate to have that. We know when we become Christians if we go to church very much, that the Ten Commandments are important. You know, we want to know those. We want to believe those. We want to follow those. Those are very, very important. They're foundational to spiritual living. I've always told people, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh Sermon on the Mount. Read, read that and learn that and know that. If you can live your life by the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it it would just make all the difference in the world. You know, people, when they become Christians, I don't know why they do this, but it seems like they all want to go to Revelation. <laughs> you know, immediately, the first thing they want to do is go to Re- the book of Revelation. Well, the book of Revelation is the hardest book in the Bible to understand. In fact, a lot of people say they understand it don't, uh, and they have no idea, really, uh, what all of it means. There are some theologians that are honest, and they'll be writing a commentary, and they'll say, now this means this, and this means this, and then the next thing they say, nobody knows what that means. Now, when you find that in a commentary, I want you to show it to me. <laughs> you won't be able to find that. But it's true. You know, they don't know what that means and they ought to be honest about it. Well, let's, uh, let's think together. When we become a believer, when we are growing in the Lord, some people are, are kind of scared of that because they don't know where the Lord is going to take them. Is the Lord going to put me in some terrible South American country where they're cannibals and uh, this and that, and, you know, am I going to be sent to the worst place ever? A lot of people have those kinds of, of apprehensions. They're scared that God is going to do something that that they wouldn't want done to them. They're very nervous about it. I want to give you a verse today. I think this is an important verse. If you got a pen, you ought to write this down. And, uh, and you ought to think about it, look at it. Cindy and I have got it on a little poster or plaque on our wall at our house and uh, we see it every day and it's been very very helpful to us and I think it would be to you and it would calm the fears that new believers have. Jeremiah 29 11 is a tremendous verse for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans to prosper you And not harm you. Isn't that good? Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now that is a great verse. If you read that, you understand what God's motivations are. It's not to hurt you in any way. It's not to embarrass you. It's to help you. And this verse speaks of that very clearly. I I always want uh, folks to catch on to some of these key verses in Scripture and, of course, build out from there. But this is one of the ones that has really been meaningful to me as I talk to folks about the Lord Jesus. Well, let's move uh, into the next chapter, verse 1. As far as my own experience of you goes, brothers... I could not speak to you as spiritual men, but only as fleshly men. Now, the men in Corinth were like babies in the faith. They thought they were spiritual giants. They thought, that's what they thought. They thought we're the most spiritual people in the world. And Paul writes them this letter and says, you're babies. Well, you can imagine how that went over. Uh, I'm sure they didn't like that. Uh, the Gnostics had an influence in that church, and the Gnostics always had some kind of secret new wisdom that they wanted to spring on everybody. And and some of the uh, men in the uh, Corinthian church had learned some of that stuff, and they thought, boy, I, I know all the regular stuff, and I know this this special stuff. Well, they they got all messed up, and they got on the wrong boat. And they got away from the apostolic preaching and teaching. Well, you know, there's a time when we need to be honest with people. Paul was honest with the Corinthians. There's a time when we need to be honest. Uh, sometimes, uh, if we're honest with somebody and uh, what we're saying they don't like, it uh, causes a bit of a problem. Well, Did you ever see that show, Art Linkletter and the little kids? Did you see that? They would put the kids in chairs up on kind of a platform, and Art Linkletter would be down about two feet, and he would walk in front of them where his face would be right across from their face, and he would ask them questions. And he would do it with four-year-olds and and five-year-olds six-year-olds. It was a fascinating show. I just loved it see what those kids were going to say ne- next. And you know that those kids say things that just embarrass their parents to death. And uh, it was it was a great show. I remember watching it one day, and, and Art Lankletter was going down the line and talking to these kids. They were five-year-olds. And the uh, first one, you know, he had a great conversation with, and the little girl said something that uh, made everybody in there laugh. And the parents, I'm sure, were embarrassed, and then he went to the next and the next and the next. And he finally got down to the end, was a little boy, and when Art Linkletter got right in front of him, before Art Linkletter could say anything, this little boy said, pointed at Art Linkletter and said, Your teeth are dirty. <laughs> I had never seen Art Linkletter lose it, but he lost it that day. He put his finger up over his uh, lip like that. And he was laughing and, I think, crying on the inside all at the same time. And the crowd just went berserk. They were just laughing and laughing and laughing. Your teeth are dirty. It was just, it was hilarious. Well, you know what? That, that uh, little boy was helping him. You know, he shouldn't be doing that program with dirty teeth. <laughs> he should clean that up. Paul is speaking the truth here. When someone speaks to you, and it is not complimentary, but corrective in nature, don't get mad at them. Don't get mad at them. Appreciate them. That's what we need to do. We need to appreciate those that are helping us. That's your true friend. That's the person that cares about you and wants to help you move beyond whatever point that it is. I'm sure you've been out to some restaurant, and you got something black caught on your front teeth there, and uh, you're eating, and all your friends are around the table, and you got this great big black thing or dark green thing right on your front tooth, <laughs> and nobody mentions it. And so about halfway through the meal, somebody uh kind of slips around and says, uh, you, you got something on your tooth. And so you reach up and you get that off. And then you feel, thank the Lord, they told me. You know, that that's the friend. That's not your enemy. That's your friend. And that's what Paul is doing to these Corinthians. He is helping them to to grow in the Lord. He's trying to be corrective in what he says, in helping them to take the next step spiritually. Well, fleshly men are not those who are habitually uh, indulging in sensual sin, uh, but those whose existence is determined not by God, but by considerations internal to themselves, the people that just wanted what was best for them. Those were the fleshly people. Now, these fleshly people were babes in Christ. They were new to the Lord. Uh, They were not heathen. They were Christian. But they had just only made baby steps in the Christian life. Uh, The word for babies and newborns in the Greek are the same word. Babies just want... And they don't want to give. They just want. Want is their word. I want this. I want that. And if they don't get it, if you don't give it to them, they'll cry. Well, they don't know give. They don't know share. You know, the sad thing is, is that every one of us in here today, we need to grow in the give and share sections of our lives. We need, we need that. The more we do that, the more mature in the faith we need and we grow. Uh, you should strain to take more. Verse 2 says, I fed you on milk, not on solid food. We need to strain to get to the meat of the word, to the meat of the Christian life. That's what we need to do. We grow by concepts and principles. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they had laws and rules for everything. They had a whole books full of laws and rules. That's not what uh, the people needed. The people needed concepts and principles. There's nothing in the Bible about genetic engineering. Not one thing in there about that. So, so how do you make any decisions? If the scribes and Pharisees were here, they'd make a law and stick it on to that. Because they had a law for everything. We need to love mercy. We need to love forgiveness. We need to love justice. We need to love grace. These are the things that help us to grow up spiritually. I grew up in a church in Chattanooga, and every third sermon was, Don't dance and don't go to theaters on Sunday. Those were two things that I was absolutely sure of theologically. Don't dance. Don't go to movies on Sunday. That was it. That's what I learned. Well, if you're one of the mature teachers in this church, we have a lot of great teachers in our Bible study times. Don't back up. Move ahead. Say those things that maybe everybody doesn't like, but things that are so important. Don't hold anything back. Teach in a way that challenges folks to grow spiritually. That's what we need. Let me just touch on verse 3. We're running out of time. And indeed, even now, you are still unable to take it. Talking about the meat of the word. For you are still fleshly. Well, let me ask you this question. Are you growing in love? Are you growing in caring? Are you growing in your knowledge of the Word of God? Are you growing in your service to your fellow man? You know, if you boil everything down to just a few words, you want to love God and love people. Love God and love people. Is there anyone here today that would like to trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior? I hope there is. I hope there are those that have never made a public profession of their faith. This would be a great day to do it. There are some here that are Christians and you'd like to come and join our church family, be a part of us and a part of the Lord's work. The the Lord wants to take his church and, and use it to its utmost ability. And we want to invite you to come and serve and work with us as we try and And represent Christ in the marketplace of today. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I'm going to stand right down here at the front. If the Lord leads you, you just slip out and slip forward. And take a stand for Christ today. Let's stand together. Well, amen. Would you have a seat, please? We're so happy today to have these folks coming to take a stand for the Lord. That's always great. We always get excited about it when someone comes. Ray Foster from Hendersonville, Tennessee, First Baptist Church there. Brother, we're glad you're here. Come on up. We uh, were real glad to meet him. He he moved to town on one day, and he saw in the paper that we were having a, a fellowship meal, and he didn't know one person in this town, and so he came, Amen. and uh, we got to know him. And uh, I'm so glad you came to that dinner. <laughs> It was good, I'll tell you. (laughs) Amen, amen. All right. This is really sweet. Um, Richard Lawless and his wife, Achara Lawless, are coming to join with us today. Achara trusted in the Lord this week. This week. Amen. Amen. Would y'all come and stand here? I want everybody to be able to get name and face uh, together. We're excited about this and we're excited about them. Aren't you glad that these have come to join with us? First Sunday of each month, we do a very, very special thing. We have a time of the Lord's Supper together. I hope that this will be a very spiritual time for you, and I hope that everyone in the room this morning will rededicate your life to the Lord. This is what it's all about as we think about the body and blood of Christ that was shed for us. As we think about what He did, how He died on the cross for us, not for him, not for three or four people, for everybody Amen. that would trust and believe in him. John 3.16 says, whosoever believeth. There's not some group of people that are xed out. It says, whosoever believeth. Well, I tell you, that uh, call keeps going out around the world and people keep responding to the grace and the love of God. Well, we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. And I hope as we do that, your heart will be touched and you'll be drawn closer to our Savior.